I'm Dan Clark, and this is I Am Teacher. Welcome, everybody. This podcast is sponsored by... If you'd like to keep tabs on the podcast or be aware of when a new episode drops, you can do so on the Insta. That means Instagram for all you unhip folks out there. My handle is imteacher.podcast. If you'd like to support the podcast and donate towards my student loan debt... You can do so now at my paypal.me account, meaning you would travel to paypal.me slash teacher, and then decide how much money this content is worth, whether it's one, two, three, or $50,000. I'll accept it all and put it towards my student loans, and if it goes over, maybe I'll pay somebody else's student loans off, but uh, we'll start with mine. The reason why I've decided to kind of cut back to just Instagram and this paypal.me donation platform is for the purpose of simplification. I found that keeping up a website, posting to Facebook, posting to Twitter, posting to Instagram, and keeping tabs on all of them is difficult as a teacher. I have found it manageable to just control the Instagram account and keep track of a PayPal account as well. So that's what this current system is. If you're looking to reach out and give me some constructive criticism or maybe ask a question, you can also do that at my Gmail account, DanielEvanClark at gmail.com. Today on the podcast, I am speaking with Jennifer Maldonado, who is uh, a teacher I've known ever since I've arrived here in St. Peter. In those years that I've known her, she's been an English teacher, she's been a reading teacher, she's been a teacher coach, she's been a play director, uh, and also a mother of three children. All impressive accolades that are worthy of some sort of award. But for now, we'll settle for an interview that dives into the world of theater, the world of language, and the world of uh, raising children in an ever-changing society. So enjoy our conversation, and I'll catch you on the flip side here on I Am Teacher. This shouldn't be as stressful as casting a play. No, it's not. It's really not. So who got the lead? There are a lot of, there's sort of a group of, of big parts. So right, Clue like, has a lot of good characters in it. Yes, and that's that's kind of hard too because they're all character um, roles. So there's not like a they're all very strong different personalities, which is what's fun about it. But then it, I don't know. We Deering and I try to think about that. Like every show is different. You're always casting, looking for specific skills. So even if someone wasn't right for this show, they're probably perfect for a different show. This show has a lot of strong characters. Yeah, like 
I love, like when I saw it was going to be Clue, I was super excited. Um, one of my students said, you should, it would be really funny if you just went and tried out with like students. And like, it's like, that. like that'd be super sad and also funny. Like if it was an office episode, you know, like I could picture like Steve Carell showing up to like a high school play no, and being like, so I'm here for the part of like you're what? How did you get in here? You know, like and then just really awkward. Like yeah. what happens yeah. next? Yeah, I swear to God, Ed. No, remember when Ed Helms in the office was in Sweeney Todd, and ever like in community theater, and they all went to see him. <laughs> I think Ed Helms was one of my favorite people in that because he was like the the funny theater guy. Who, yeah, he's so funny. So were you in theater in high school? I think I, I, don't think, I was. Okay. Yeah, like every single year, or was it like? Um, so my, my theater story is fun because I did sports. Like I was a three season sports person. So I did volleyball and I did basketball and I ran track and then, and, and only till ninth grade. So I probably started sports though, pretty young Uh sports, sports, sports my whole life. And then in ninth grade, I had an English teacher that I loved. His name was Mr. Lynn. And, and he was like, you really should try out for the play. Like, why don't you try out for the play? And so I had two really good friends, and the three of us went and tried out for it and got roles, and then I quit all of my sports. Oh, and wow. then I did, like, I did all theater until I graduated. So then I did fall, one act, and spring. I didn't even, like, I didn't know that there were three seasons of theater until, like, taught in high school i'm so mad like hearing your story it makes me mad at my teachers in high school how did none of them tell me you should go try out for the play yeah that's kind of weird nobody (laughs) nobody said that maybe they just were annoyed by me and they didn't want like whatever just get this clark kid out of my class do you remember who your high school director was did you have that person as a teacher no oh actually yeah so one of the teachers he was like the speech teacher, and I gave a speech in his class. It was a speech from a movie called Any Given Sunday. It's mm-hmm. a football movie, mm-hmm. and Al Pacino gives this like really good speech mm-hmm. about how life and football are intertwined, and they're both a game of inches. And I so I gave we had to do a speech. It was like a mem oh, it was a memorization or one of the categories and this fell into that category I was like I'm doing that because I know it by heart and I'm mm-hmm. gonna do it really well mm-hmm. and then I did it and it was really good but he docked me because I did like a, a an old football coach accent so he gave me less points for like he was like that was acting and I was what? really upset about that yeah he didn't want you to act what did he want I don't know. Wanted me to memorize a speech and give it like a Say teenager, it. I guess. I don't know. And so that guy never, I never had a good relationship with him. Mm-hmm. And like, he just wasn't the kind of teacher that was, had a good connection with a lot of kids and was able to say, oh, you know, you'd be great for this. I never had anyone that said that. And man, thanks a lot, you jerks. Like, <laughs> so I did the play this last fall here at the school and... Like, that also helped me realize, like, wow, you really missed the boat on that one, mm-hmm. Dan. Mm-hmm. Yeah, theater is amazing. It's so, I don't know, it's fa- it's so cool and so communal and so 
creative to build something with a bunch of people, you know, create something with a bunch of people. And it's just as hard as, I mean, not physically like doing drills and stuff, but mentally it is just as difficult as performing in a game Mm -hmm. or, you know, memorizing a play and running the right route in a football game or doing the right offense in basketball. It's, I, in some ways it's way harder than that, you know, because the stakes are so much higher. Like if you lose a basketball game, you know, that's like whatever. This is the week to be saying things like this. You're going to get in big trouble. This won't, this, <laughs> this, this probably won't come out until, um, you know, after those things have happened, but state hockey. And, and like, state it's funny. Kid, I, I just, I didn't care that much about sports in high school and I still played them for some reason. Like I should, I wish I had that English teacher that showed me how valuable that stuff is, you know, compared to sports or just, just as valuable as sports. Mm -hmm. And I don't know, it's harder for high school kids to realize that maybe at least a kid who's involved in sports, you know, like you got told in your freshman year and then you just quit the sports. Like, did you not care about sports anymore after that or what? I it was, I don't know. It was an interesting time. It's weird to think about my high school self. It's kind of fun. But I, I yeah, it's, it's, isn't it? Like, and of course you do. Like as a high school teacher, of course you think about your high school self. But um, at at the time, I was like in this interesting break where either I was going to stay friends with these people that I was friends with that also played sports, or I was going to kind of make this break and hang out with the theater kids. And then some things happened, you know, like kind of friend drama, girl drama. And I found myself in the theater. This is a very dramatic story. I found myself in the theater crying, like during the day. So it was a dark theater. I was just like looking for a place to go because there was like all this gossip going on and whatever. And the director, English teacher, was in there for some reason. Like, creepily sitting No, (laughs) not creepy at all. It was not creepy. Like there was something going on on stage. So those lights were on. I was sort of like in the back, like crying, high school self. And he just said like you always this is like you have a home in the theater why don't you know this is your place and that was life-changing you know and and that's I think those are the powerful moments and like teacher power you know like how powerful that is it's one person but like he really was life-changing for me right and I wish like all teachers took that role of life changer more mm-hmm. seriously mm-hmm. and I don't know maybe it's maybe it's just a difference in generation or ways that teachers have been taught themselves like the old school way of teaching didn't necessarily involve that idea of like you have the ability to shape their life without your class like just by saying certain little things to them you know and, and some I... people yeah some people figure it out but yeah And I wonder, too, like, it also depends on the person and the student and the exact right moment, you know, because I wonder how many, I wonder if anyone before that said, like, you really love literature and you really love reading. Maybe you should this. And I was like, "Mm, no, thanks. I'm doing sports. It was like a moment, you know, where the stars aligned. And I think about that, too, as a teacher and I think about the amount of times I've said to kids, like, you should really try out for theater. And they're like, mm, no, I'm not going to. Right. So I, I think it's also a moment, 
the stars have to align in some way where you have to hear this advice you have to be in the right spot to hear it like yeah right mindset to like yeah the the brain door has to be open to like willing to hear it sometimes teachers give you advice and you're like thanks for that no i just i seriously (laughs) i just told someone today who was having a hard time i said just breathe try it do six deep breaths Mm -hmm. japanese study all it takes is six deep breaths for any kind of like noticeable change to occur within like blood pressure um like neurons firing i don't know a whole bunch of different things it took the minimum was six deep breaths and like that's i wanted this person to do that but they just were like yeah whatever like you know? that's dumb i was like come on like that could have worked <laughs> yeah um but yeah they didn't it wasn't like mm-hmm. the moment for them to hear that so you just have to like follow them around till they're sobbing and be like hey <laughs> deep breaths deep huh? breaths uh-huh. or theater come on <laughs> You have a home. Yep. Yep. Or if, like, you said you have a home and that was really cheesy. You know what I mean? Like, or they're like, right. well, that's dumb. Yeah. Um, and I do think even sometimes you say those things and people say, like, whatever. But then they think about it. Ten, then maybe they think it's cheesy in the moment, and they, but they still keep it. And ten years later, they're like, you were right. Mm-hmm. You know? So it still sticks. I still think, like, hey, still say it. Even if it sounds cheesy, like that person's gonna try some Japanese breathing in two months, and they'll be right. like, oh. "Okay." Mm-hmm. I I think I bet they will. I hope so. Um, do you think it's harder, like the fact that you did it in ninth grade? Do you think it made it more easier as well? Like I'm thinking of people that maybe <clears throat> they're on the sports track, but they don't quit in ninth grade. Maybe they like finally get the theater bug, like their senior year. And then they want to make that switch. But then, like, maybe, like, I know that teacher said the community was welcoming then, but I feel like back, maybe it's not true anymore, but I feel like when I was in high school or back in the day, like, if you weren't in the theater group, you couldn't get into the theater group. It's like ninth grade, it's like cement or something. Each group is cement. And Mm -hmm. ninth grade, it's like kind of like you can still move cement piles you know what i'm saying <laughs> yeah but then like as yep. time goes on it just gets hard it like hardens mm-hmm. and you can't break out of your group and go into another one yeah they won't because it won't you can't be accepted it won't like integrate into that you try group. to get into the cement and it's just it's just cementy yeah it's just two pieces yeah. of cement like banging <laughs> up against each other does that make does that stupid analogy make yeah. sense yeah it does and and i think that it in some ways it is true for sure um, and I even think about like auditions and how stressful they are. And it's, it's hard to try and block out everything you know about like, okay, I've seen this kid perform eight times in eight different shows. I've never seen this one perform. I'm going to try and just think about this one moment. I don't know. It, it is. Impossible. It's, it is. It's actually literally impossible. So it's. I can see why it's hard and it's daunting, but I still think it's, it's always worth a try. Like, like we're just saying, put yourself out there and that's what life's about. So if it's something you want to do, why wouldn't you just go for it? But it's also, again, I think as directors, it is so hard because you are aware 
that it's how brave it is for these kids to stand up and do this. It is hard. That is a hard thing to do, to stand up. And even for that one moment, like put yourself out there. It's brave. Yeah. And the, but the ones who are good just are able to put themselves out there. Well, and that's the other weird thing. It's like just like a sport, like muscle memory or something, like you learn the lines and you say them over and over again. And then there are some people who let go of it and become something different, mm-hmm. you know? And I feel like that's also sort of like the sports comparison. You've got muscle memory and some kids like just like find it in themselves to love it and do it. And yeah, like it's amazing. In the fall play, there was like a scene where someone left my the the my pharmacy that I was the doc of or whatever the person the storekeeper of, and it didn't close all the way, and it was just like an unscripted moment. Mm-hmm. And I just part like part of me was like, if you're in like it was this super fast thought process of was like you're super angry right now in the scene. You should probably angrily go and shut that door like you are you know, super mad. And mm-hmm. then I just did it su- like super calmly, like no showing, like, oh, no, what do I do? Uh, just like walked over, slammed the door and like continued. And it was like not even missing a beat. And after, after I thought about it, I was like, wow, that was so cool how my brain just came up with like It's not, like, it's not even like I came up with it. Mm-hmm. It's just, it's almost like it, Something else was causing that thought process it to was happen, doc. right? Yeah, like the character seriously mm-hmm. just comes through and takes over. Well, who's uh, Daniel Day Lewis? Have you ever heard? I know, I know. I mean, I, myself, I know him, and I know his process, but I never heard him like explain things how how he. Well, just the method acting it. approach, yeah. right? Like the idea that you walk around like. I drink your milkshake. <laughs> did, did you ever see that one? That yeah. A, he, and every that time. That was a day brightener. He, like, on the set of The Crucible, he built a house. Yeah. Um, he was, I mean, Abe Lincoln, he just pretended, like, he just pretended to be them. He <laughs> is amazing, too. Like, he is fantastic. And, yeah, I, it, that must, that's total dedication and I don't know if I could do that. And there's, I mean, Viggo Mortensen is another one who does that. Mm. Like when he did Lord of the Rings, they would only refer to him as Aragorn (laughs) on set. See, Um, and you have to just giggle a little bit. Wouldn't it be hard to, like, see that person on the street and be like, hello, Aragorn. But it would be so cool (laughs) just to pretend to be Aragorn, I think, for months at a time. (laughs) What kind of a life would that be? You that probably would just sweet. miss miss that time in your life where you got to be a mythical king, you know? <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I think method acting is fascinating. I would like to read up on it and just read about how Daniel Day-Lewis spends his, like... Does he have a family? I think yeah. he does. He makes shoes in his free time. He's a cobbler. And he also... I think he's reti- I think he said he was retired from acting now. I'm just done. I'm going to cobble. Yeah. Make some cheese. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, I don't, and I don't know if he does that because he just doesn't think he's a good enough actor. Like, does it come from a place of insecurity? Like, you don't trust your ability to act? That you have to. I don't pr- think so. I feel like he's pretty confident. Like, what if you... I'd like to see a really bad method actor. <laughs> you know? Have you seen Waiting for Guffman? 
Uh, no, I haven't. That's the guys oh. that are the guy that made all like best for show, best in show, yes. and the what's a mighty wind? Yes. Is that the one? Yep, Christopher Guest yeah. wrote all of them. But it's just it's so good because it's just that idea of and waiting for Guffman is like waiting for Godot. You're waiting for this. It's a community theater, super small town, and they're waiting for um, someone coming like to fly in from New York and make them all famous. Except that that person like actually doesn't exist, and it was a misunderstanding. But they just all take <laughs> it so seriously. They write a show and they produce it, and it's just the funniest thing ever. And it was all done improv. So they'd be like, in the scene, you're going to this man's house and you're going to ask him to be in your show and you're very nervous. And then they just, they're like, ready, scene, go. So it was all done improv and they just like become the characters and it is so funny. Does it hold up still over time? That's like, a good is, question. Is it still funny? That's a good question. Because I've rewatched some of those things back and yeah. they don't, the jokes don't hit as good as they did. And I think this one's more of a cult classic, too, where you... It's one of those where you see it 300 times, and then you just know the lines, and they're right. so funny. So you're right. Maybe it's not. I just can't imagine it wouldn't. Right. I I've, haven't watched it. I've seen those other... I mean, Spinal Tap is the same type of movie, right? Oh, That's the guy. Spinal he wrote Tap. Spinal Tap, yeah. too. But all, like, all those movies, when I saw them for the first time, they made me laugh. I don't know if they made me laugh uncontrollably, or just my mind was like... Just thinking, this is so funny. Yeah. Like, you would think about them for days, because you're like... Like, how... F- and then Stonehenge came down, and it was one inch tall. Right. And it was so funny, and then... Yes. Yeah. hmm So, besides just putting yourself out there, what do you think are other skills that, I don't know, you can develop only in theater, or more, you're more likely to develop in theater... Because you're acting in a play and practicing all that stuff. That would be different from something else. Yeah, like, like a sports. sport. Yeah. I think the I think just the oratory skills, like the I think about um I think about like speak speaking in front of people, of course, is one thing and you can do that in speech, but it's interesting how different they are, you know? And I think about, this is one thing, like, as a director, I would like to get better at this year, to say to kids, you need to enunciate, that sounds mushy, like you're just mushing your words together, and they're like, okay, but how do you do that? So as a director, I've actually been, like, reading, like, here are some exercises for making sure you pronounce your final consonants, and, you know, stuff like that. So what do you do? Just repeat words and say them clearly? Yes, you literally... Think about your final consonants, you know. So, um, like uh, clearly, like L Y. You just like yep. focus on the L Y. Yeah, you just even to think about that and to think about your words as being more clear and separated. And then there are all of these um, vocal exercises, and those are like the Will Ferrell Anchorman ones. <laughs> Al yes. now brown yeah. cow. Yes. The human torch was denied a bank loan. <laughs> exactly. The rain in Spain falls mainly <laughs> on the plane. Yes. That sounds like fun. Yeah. So besides, now I'm going to be doing that for the rest of this podcast. It's very hard to talk about it and then not do it. I can <laughs> remember when I, when I do the podcast, actually, and I, or I did radio 
when I would do like advertisements or intros to news stories, mm -hmm. that would happen. I would just notice the mushing of words. Mm -hmm. And then the second time it was like, you better say every single thing that is on the paper and use your consonants wisely. Mm -hmm. And yeah, that's such an important thing, but it's something I definitely forget when I'm in front of people and like giving a lecture or talking about a topic. Mm -hmm. um, and I think once you get very familiar with the script and even the directors, they know the script, everyone knows the script and you don't realize necessarily what's happening with the with the smushing of the words, you know, or they, even that it's not clear because everyone's heard it so many times. It's always good to get some fresh ears in there. You'll have to come and check it out. Yeah. Give us some critiques. Well, I don't, yeah, I'm not an expert really at all. But you can definitely, you know right away, like, I don't understand what you're saying. Right. <laughs> right. What else, what are some other things that young actors tend to do? Like, besides mushing, I'm thinking of not pausing enough. Or when I was practicing, or even with mock trial that I'm a part of, mm -hmm. I noticed that when people memorize their lines they want to just get them out as yeah. soon as possible to make sure that they get them out like mm -hmm. i memorized this it's out there now yes i'm done uh -huh. so i i feel is that something that you notice as well mm -hmm. yes and sometimes that's really interesting too you'll stop and say do you know what that word means and they'll go ha, ha, ha. no <laughs> You know, there was a super funny moment with a cast member where we realized one of his punchlines to the stupid joke was acid reflux. And if this young man's listening, he'll love this. But um, we stopped and we're like, do you know what that is? And and he was like, no. So he was <laughs> delivering a joke. Without, without knowing what the actual yeah. joke is. And so, which, which makes sense. Like, that happens sometimes where you're like, oh, yeah, I had... Because, you know, I have to be memorized by Friday. I'm just, I'm going to be memorized. And then at some point you're like, wait, what is that again? And the joke just won't work, though. Mm -hmm. I mean, people might laugh based on just the way the words are arranged, but it's such a, it hits so much. I mean, if you don't know what it means, it's just not going to hit as hard mm -hmm. as when yes. you know. Yes, yeah. I mean, and, and then the way that's delivered really matters because... Yeah. So I think intonation sometimes is strange when you don't understand what you're saying. And just little things sometimes not facing out. Mm, you yeah. can't hear the person. You know, sometimes it's just very basic things. You have to turn your body, but you also, it has to look natural. And you still have to deliver the line to the person to the left. So it's just all those, all those things you have to remember. It is a lot to think about, and then you have to not think about it and just be natural. Yeah, and I wonder, does it ha do they forget those things from play to play even? Or uh, like, because you learn it for one play, like don't face the back of the stage or, you know, face outward mm -hmm. or don't mumble or know your jokes. But then do they do, they kind of just probably repeat them, those same things when they start a new play. Um, and you can you can tell who has more experience because of all of those things because of all the things you have to remember You can tell who has experience doing that So sometimes it's just like I think the other thing that Deering and I want to do a better job of this year is being like, okay 
you know, it's not doesn't make you a bad person, but we need we're gonna meet during Saints time in the practice room a little bit because we're gonna do we're doing vowels, we're doing we're gonna block. If you're gonna move stage left, how can you do that without turning your back? <laughs> you know, stuff like that that sometimes it's logistics and once you have them down then they can be natural. But I'm trying to think of other good um Oh, another one that's really interesting that I've noticed is that when you are delivering serious lines, um, people will use a lower register and then you can't hear them. Just a softer voice? Yeah. So if, you, if you're like, I'm going to say something serious to you, it's natural to get lower. So if it's something dramatic or serious, you also still have to have energy. So it's a weird combo, and I think people think energy, they think positive, but it's not always that. So it's like, how do you have dramatic energy that you can still hear? And how often, I'm trying to think, when I practiced with the kids or the students, the young actors, the thespians, I'll the say. Thespians. I don't like calling it, like when I was acting with them, I didn't see them as kids. Mm-hmm. Um, because they ran the show. Yeah. That was also something that was crazy They're to me. They're amazing. Like, They're amazing. On show, but on show, on the, you know, opening night, mm -hmm. it's just the actors in the back. There's no, mm -hmm. there's no directors. There's no adults. It's just people going out on stage, delivering their lines, doing their job without any direction from any adult. Mm -hmm. And I guess the reason is because, you know, the stakes are pretty high if you don't do it the whole show is ruined. Mm -hmm. But I was just looking around thinking, oh, wow, there's nobody. It's just us. It's just the actors going out and coming back. And what? Okay, <laughs> Like you cool. expected like an adult to be back there running it? Yeah. You need to move That's this way, Jimmy. From, yeah. you know, whatever I've seen in movies mm -hmm. of high school productions, like there's always a, you know, person with a headset on. But that person was a student. You know, mm -hmm. um, so I thought that was that's pretty cool to watch. But what I was going to say was that when we practiced, I would also notice that sometimes the it would take multiple redirections to actually fix the mistake mm -hmm. of the actor. Is that something that you're you notice? Like it takes a long time for them to actually change what you want them to change. Like, don't face the back, and they keep facing the back. Yes. Or, like, enunciate your words, and they don't, like, it takes 15 times before they actually stop the wrong, not behavior, but the, the wrong, ver like, they don't get the direction. Yes, and, and that is why I was reading this whole year about it, because... I, I thought, and I and just like in education, I always think explicit feedback, and everyone always talks about that, and then there I am being like, enunciate! I said enunciate! And kids are like, I just don't even, I don't know what you mean. Like, what's an example of that? How can you help me slow down and do that? Can can you, you know, what... So what is How the proper scaffold? What is the proper way things. to approach that then? You tell them specifically, I want you to say this line like this. Or do you act it out for them and they maybe like I think it's probably a variety of those things. Sometimes you can say like I can't hear you or you can say enunciate. But then once you hear yourself say it 5 times, then 
why do you keep saying it? <laughs> it's not working. So those are the things that I'm like, how can I how can I have specific tools for kids? You know, I think that sometimes it just makes you feel bad every time director yells at you, enunciate. But I just think that's not, like, what I want is to be helpful. Like, of course you want to help these kids get better, and they're already amazing. So yell, maybe not yell, enunciate again. <laughs> <laughs> no, I'm thinking of in terms of helping, like, giving direction. So for mock, like, so for mock trial... There is an element of theater. Mm -hmm. So this is the first year I've done it. I didn't realize, I didn't know what the heck this thing was mm -hmm. until I saw it. And then, you know, obviously the boat had kind of left the station with everything. I didn't really have a grasp on how to direct kids and how to tell them how to enunciate or slow down. Mm -hmm. Besides just saying, slow down, enunciate. Mm -hmm. So I, did, I was looking for just... I don't like what you're doing with your hands. Right. What would you like me to do with my hands? So I, I'm yep. just trying to pick up little things that would allow me to give them like direction that they can follow and actually act on and, you know, So one do. thing that I love and that I feel fortunate about is that I have a lot of friends that I graduated college with that um, went into theater, you know, or like went into like kind of the English world because I was an English major. So that's what happens. And... And so there are some people who, you know, have already been directing for years or have been, or are teachers. And so one of the things that I did was buy a book of someone that a friend of mine worked with. And it literally is like this person who has a theater major and like teaches at an all theater school. And he, um, so he, that's what he does and he wrote a book about directing. So it was it's very like high school director user friendly cuz that's what he is. And that has been really fascinating. I totally can share it with you, but it has like a whole chapter on exercises for characterization, exercises for and we'll see. I didn't use it at all. I felt like so last year was my very first year directing. So I didn't I feel like I had no clue. You know, no idea. I feel like I was like, sorry, everyone, <laughs> for that. I just <laughs> felt like I had, I was just sort of like looking around like, that's fun. You know, I know basics and always in my English classes, there are elements of theater because that's my favorite thing. So my kids were always acting in my classroom. And I knew like, you have to enunciate, you have to be louder. I know all those basic things. But then for me, I always want to be reading and like what, how can I make that different? How can I reflect on that? How can I, what can I do better? And your first year of anything, you know, it's just. Yeah, right. It's just getting through it and figuring out what everything, what it, what it all entails, basically. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty hard to, to do, I don't know, to be super effective in the first year of those type of situations. Yeah, like, I agree. Like a coach or a director or. Yeah, you just if, especially if you haven't ever done it before, you just don't know. Yeah. And so, yeah, I'm after like the mock trial season wrapped up, I kind of have an idea of, now of some things I could probably do going forward that would be a good start. You know. Did you just finish that? Yeah. Oh, cool. Yeah, it's really it's just, it's just a a mix of memorizing memorizing your lines with a lawyer while you're playing a character. 
But then there's also an improv factor to it where the other team will ask you questions that you have to answer in character based on your knowledge of the character, which is provided in the form of an affidavit that the person gives. Cool. Yeah, I mean, it's super it's super interesting. And I don't know, I'm looking forward to making some tweaks and adding some audio. I want to do some audio recording stuff with it mm-hmm. to make... I mean, have you, have you ever thought about, or do other, I know it wasn't true for the other play, but making kids watch themselves. Because, mm-hmm. you know, I mean, I was talking with my student teacher yesterday about using film. Like, you use film in sports all the time. You watch film, you see what you did wrong, and you fix it. Mm-hmm. And it probably works because you see yourself do something ridiculous, and you don't want to see yourself do it again. But... I don't think we do, we don't use that practice enough for other things, mm-hmm. like theater maybe one, or mm-hmm. teaching. We I talked about that. I love that idea, I'm going to rip that off. That's a great idea. And we thought, I, th- I mean, I thought about using it for audio, because it's not fun to hear yourself either, mm-hmm. but also video, just watching, you know, what your hands are doing, where you move, how you stand, you know. Yeah. And we've talked about this even with teaching, when you see yourself and hear yourself, because I've recorded myself, you've recorded yourself. In your, for me, I I always use the filler okay when I'm teaching, which I I didn't realize at all. So I probably recorded myself for the first time after teaching for ten years, and then I was like, oh my gosh, I say okay all the time, and I had no idea. Yeah, and when I play these back, some episodes I have very good awareness on my use of the word like and um and so, but other times. Like, if I take a break, I fall back on those words way too much. And maybe it's not apparent in this episode because I've already gone back and deleted all the likes that I've said, which I tend to do. Mm-hmm. But it pops up. Those things happen in normal conversation. Mm-hmm. But when you hear them back, especially when you hear it coming from your own recording, you feel... I feel gross. <laughs> I don't know if that's the right word. I feel ashamed. No. Disgusted. I don't know. <laughs> Dirty. I feel this is not dumb. Right. I don't know what I feel like. Mm-hmm. It just doesn't feel good to hear yourself use those words, even though it's completely normal. Mm-hmm. And you're obviously the harshest critic of yourself. But I think using that in those ways would be helpful. How do you think like became a filler? When did that happen? I've had students that I cannot understand what they're trying to say because of the amount of times that they say like. And then if you ask them to not say it anymore, they can't get anything out. Have you ever had that happen? That has happened once. That was a very extreme case. But it's happened. I usually let. I usually would let it go. Probably, part of me would want to make fun of them for it, <laughs> but then I would f- feel as if I were destroying them <laughs> morally. Yeah. So I don't call them out. Well, and this was more of like everyone had to not use the word like, and this person, and this person was to- was pretty okay with it, and fully aware of her issue, but. When did that become a thing? I know it became more of a thing, at least I think when 
the Kardashians became more popular. For real? There's an actual, there's got to be a YouTube video on this. But they have had a serious impact on the, I don't know if it's the word like, but it's, it's, they've had an effect on the tone, like the way. Like language. Yeah, they've had a definite impact on language and how it kind of sounds like, (laughs) like that part. And I just said like right there, but. It's the part where it goes out of it and then it goes Like that part. They've had an impact on that. And it's not good. I think like has something to do with it too. I think they brought that into the mainstream more. But I don't know. I could be completely wrong because I can remember my dad after teaching for 30 years, talking about that same problem, the filler of like. He was talking specifically about like. Mm-hmm. Oh. Mm-hmm. Hmm. I don't know. Language is super interesting. Mm-hmm. And I, I wish, I don't think people think about, about language consciously enough. They just speak the language that they were, especially in the United States, they just, most people just speak the language that they were, you know, born into. Mm -hmm. And they don't ever stop to think about why they say certain things or why certain phrases or what other people probably experience when they hear you if you're from, if they're from a different part of the world. It's just, I don't, you probably don't think about that stuff unless you have to experience another language constantly mm-hmm. you know I didn't think about that until I lived in Mexico for a year and now I think a lot about wh- what I always thought what what do people from other countries impersonate English as without knowing any words mm-hmm. you know how people stereo I'm not gonna do it because I'll yeah, yeah. thank you <laughs> like stereotypically will impersonate like an Asian language or mm-hmm. um, any different part, like, or like an African language. Mm-hmm. You know, like there's certain, like, tones that they would well, say. I think about Minnes- like Fargo. Oh, the old. So they would just be like, oh, 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 <laughs> oh, no, no. Like, they just, there's no real words. Like, I just want to know, not to be, like, offended by it. I just want, just I'm interested. I'm curious as to what. So, I've asked my cousin this question, and he refused to do it. And I then part of me wonders if he was understanding what what I was asking, because there was kind of a language barrier as we were talking. I've asked him that very question. I've thought about this too. What does it sound like? I think someone told me once that it was it was just a smattering of different unrelated English words. Like over exaggerated, like microphone, potato, skateboard, wood. <laughs> well, could you ask Vero? I don't. She never did it. She never imper. Like she just isn't the type of person that would impersonate. She's just like for no. fun. No, I'm not going English. To. You know, if I was in those other, I know there's people like me in those other countries that do it. Mm-hmm. So I want to talk to them and know <laughs> what that's but, like. 
I think just about when curiosity. I was in college, I went to, and not very far, I went to Kansas City, Missouri, Missouri. See? Mm-hmm. See? And they were like, oh, oh, Minnesota, oh. And, and I'm like, I'm not doing that. And they're like, oh. Oh, oh you're like, not? They just, oh. I've never had that experience where those people could directly tell me that I sounded that way. And yeah. Then, and it's strange to me how those things, t- like the O or the the drawl, mm-hmm. how do those things take over an entire region and then it just it's like a, like a, I don't know. It's like a invasive species. It just like takes over everything. Like no matter, like at a certain point, no matter what ethnicity you are and you're born into that area, you are born into that drawl or that O or that lit. Like Spanish is the craziest to me in, in Spain. Mm-hmm. And there's a theory that it was because one guy had a lisp, like a king or something of Spain, had a lisp and he spoke like this. And and so they spoke with a lisp because they all wanted to, the the king, they wanted to make this king like sound, they wanted to make this king sound normal. So they all spoke with a lisp. That was the theory. I don't think it's been proven true. But why does the entire country of Spain have the lisp? And it's when, considered like like the most elite Spanish and, of the Spanish-speaking world. And then if you come to the United States, it's a speaking <laughs> disability. People pay to fix those things. Yeah. It's crazy. I know. It's and like, that's another just aspect of language. Yeah, think about like Mean Girls when they all cut their shirts. <laughs> Do you get that reference? I remember Mean Girls. I don't remember when they cut well, their shirts. Because, like, they're trying to bully Regina George, so they cut holes in her boobs. And then everybody started cutting and holes in her boobs. And then everyone starts doing it, and then it's the fashion. <laughs> That's one of my favorite movies. It's, it's a good movie. Tina Fey um, wrote it. It's obviously the best. Yeah, she's a funny lady. Um, but anyway. Yeah, language is just, it's just so many different aspects of it that... How did they get? How did they get started, and why did they branch off? And yeah. Well, and even I mean, so think about the word like. Most people can cut that out a little bit when they walk into the classroom, and they don't when they're out in the hallway. I mean, just that, what you say in the hallway and what you say in your classroom, and how those things are different. Yeah, some students don't know the difference of that yet, mm-hmm. <laughs> even at the age of sixteen. But I think that's a, that's an important skill to have, right? You know, you need to know when to tighten up your language function or whatever the term is. Mm-hmm. Otherwise, you you're gonna make yourself look foolish in front of the wrong people. Mm-hmm. But so I mean, some people know how to do that; others not so much. But I think that's a definite skill that well, yeah. should be taught. Yeah. Right. Even adults, right? <laughs> I mean, Filter. yeah. Everyone's got their own idea of what that means. Yeah, totally. <laughs> um, so I guess I, I guess I could stick to some of these too. Um, so what originally, not just theater. When's the last time? So when is the last time you had you were in a classroom teaching a class? Well, um, I currently teach Sunday school. Does All right. that count? Yeah, I, that counts. Does it? They're, how old are those kids? It's got to be um, elementary school they're, kids? Yeah, they're fifth, fourth, fifth, and sixth grade. That's teaching. 
It is. Yeah. It is. How My is that daughter's com- in that class. <laughs> How does that feel? To, to have, have a daughter in the class? Yeah. To have young kids like that? To have your daughter specifically. Um, I like it because I like her. She's awesome. You're like, isn't she so smart, everyone? <laughs> wow. Everyone's like, should... those two are bothering me. <laughs> no, it, it actually, though, is great. Um, so do you miss being in front of the class or having a class constantly? Yes. Yeah. I was just talking to, who was I talking to about this? Oh, Brittany Walters. Because um, we were just talking about how your specific class periods become their own personality. So like the way that you talk to mm-hmm. first block is totally different than the way you talk to second block. And then, um, and just like at the end of the year, you know each other so well. And you know the personality of the room. And it's almost like it becomes one thing as a community, but also all those individual kids that you know so well. And I think about even like this senior class is the last time I had a group of students, which is insane to me, not counting like I taught summer school, um, not counting the summer school kids that I've had. But even like on their audition forms, I still remember their writing. You know, it's weird having kids for an entire year, having like the things that just, just cool. Like that relationship's cool. And it's just, you have, and you have to do it all over every semester as a teacher. And there are hundreds of, of student handwritings to learn. You know what I mean? And you still do it, you know? Yeah. It's just crazy. I miss those things. I miss like, there's something different about the joy of being with kids every day than, like, meetings. <laughs> yeah, I don't think I could ever make the shift. I don't think I'd, like, I don't want to. I, my favorite time is being in front of that group or with with them mm-hmm. and just interacting with the kids. Mm-hmm. Maybe that will change as I get older and grumpier or <laughs> I don't know what, but, or maybe they just won't, I have a fear that, as I get older, I won't be as, like, relatable to them. And they just won't treat me the same way that they've been treating me and, and opening up to me. Mm-hmm. Just because I have grayer hair or I have more wrinkles on my face or I just look older. Is that a real fear that I should have? I think it's... I I have always felt the same way but I also look around and see teachers that are relatable always to kids right that's probably true right if you're relatable once you're relatable all the time think about Mr. Bell his last year of teaching god kids love that guy yeah they do Uh huh. I want to get him in here I know Mr. Bell you're up (laughs) he doesn't listen to this thing you kidding me (laughs) but I'm going to get him in here for at least one. Yes. He won't listen to that one either, but that's fine. I just want to record his voice. Um, part part of me doing this also for, like, language purposes and, like, this idea of age and being relatable, I don't know. I keep thinking that after I die, this will be on the physical record hmm. and that people that my loved ones will be able to hear it. Like, part of me has this weird, like, I always thought it was, I always think it's super interesting that most of the songs that I listen to that were recorded, like, you know, 60s, 70s, 50s, those people are dead. 
And I'm still just dancing around listening to their voice as if they are still here. Mm -hmm. And I just, I don't know, I think that's really cool to have that. And I'd like to have my own album someday as well. Really? Like singing? Like singing album. Really? Yeah. Now, I did not know you sang. Um, I mean, you've seen me do karaoke before. Oh, that's right. Of course I knew you sang. But it's not well, like, that's not actually, that's not, I mean, that's I singing. I have a video somewhere. Probably. There's a few <laughs> that exist. Um, but I want, I, I don't know if it's, I don't know if that's like narcissistic or like egotistical to want to have those things. Just, but it's just, I want my son to be able to listen back to it. Or like maybe his son or daughter or their like, Five generations from now, mm-hmm. those people could listen back to this and say, wow, that was the guy that, wow, that's the guy that uh, had to be alive so I could be created. Well, what? It's so funny to to have kids because I think about, I guess, like this kind of brings everything together because I think about, like, for me, theater was my favorite thing. I hadn't thought about it for 10 years. For 10 years since my daughter was born. And I didn't even realize that until this random ap- opportunity came up. Like, hey, do you have any theater experience? I'm like, yeah, actually, it's my favorite thing. <laughs> I guess I haven't gone to a play or thought about it for since Lily was born. But, and then I think about, I was just telling somebody this, like a bunch of parents uh, kind of complaining about influenza and strep and all the illnesses and just like when you have your own kids there are moments of your life that just turn into survival so you go from like an actual human being that thinks about like creating art and like oh I'm thinking about music and god I love this it's so beautiful and blah 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 and then all of a sudden you're like how do I get my three-year-old who has influenza to the doctor when I'm supposed to be meeting with somebody at two o'clock? And then, and I'm really actually worried about her, but like I also have to pick up my other two kids and like I live in a different town and I, like all of a sudden your life becomes logistics and influenza and <laughs> picking people up. And then in 10 years, you're like, I really used to like theater. Right. And, and some, like, what's the point of life? Is it like burning yourself out with logistics so you can raise children? Yeah, it is. But like, what else is it? Right. No, it's, I think some people <clears throat> make those, cho- like they make that choice. Some people just pick, they pick one or the other, or some pick the balance. And this morning, dropping off Mateo, we watched someone drop their screaming kid off mm-hmm. at daycare without giving them a hug or giving them a kiss, dropping them off, saying sorry and goodbye oh, to the daycare person. So and I was thinking about it all morning. Just how is that the case? And it's just because that person made the choice that whatever they had to get to was more important than the logistics or just the basic necessity of raising your child. I think as a society, we far too often do that. We, we take the path of what's best for me mm-hmm. or like how can I make the money or how can I, you know, have my me time. But you need to, the focus should be on the raising of the child. And I think the school system has been picking up or has been... Oh. told to pick up 
that slack. Yes. yes. What the teaching, what the teachers used to do, is completely different than what they do now because of that. I think, like divergence in well, I can't, I don't have time to raise my kid. Mm-hmm. You guys are gonna be the child raisers. Mm-hmm. So I feel like that's the job now is raising the children of the society. Agreed. Yeah. And definitely, I don't think it's right, but. I mean, you're also right about the fact that you should have the ability to pursue interests. And it's just a hard, it's such a hard balance. You just, those things get put on the shelf Mm -hmm. for a while. And, you know, they never get to take a super front seat. Mm -hmm. They're always riding in the back in the trunk, (laughs) you know. Well, and it's so funny. I think about like, okay, my husband, who is science he, and we're very, like, we have very similar in some ways and very different. And so if you would say to him, what's the purpose of life? He'd be like, reproduce. Biology. The end. And I think about, like, I have a my godfather who is this, like, hairy, burly neurologist from Guatemala. And, he'll be, and he would say, he's very crass, so he'd probably, like, put three F-bombs in the sentence. He's so fun. But he he would say, like... From the moment your kids are born, they're killing you. It's like biologically their job. You, they are replacing you. So like all this really intense like sciency, the the purpose of life is, you know, replacement. Replacement and biology. And but God, you know, you wake up with like gray hair because you haven't slept for ten year ten years, and you don't even know what you like anymore. <laughs> and you're like, who am I? Yeah. Is this the purpose of life? Right. God, that's bleak. Sorry. No, but I, it's, it's it's but if you have kids and like you hear and you hear people talk about like I listen to a lot of like it's not self-help, but self improvement is that better? Self-help seems like always such a negative like connotation. You've got like issues you got problems. With. Yeah. yeah. Just self-growth, I guess we'll yeah, say. Yeah. But they those the people I listen to They'll say, oh, you should you should journal, you should meditate, you mm-hmm. should do all these different, you know, develop these skills. But then I look at their lives. What's the difference? Oh, they don't have any children. Mm-hmm. They just have these lives without, you know, a constant person that they have to take care of that's mm-hmm. not themselves. And the, and the not to say that there isn't joy in that, too. Because... Right. I think the other no. reason you get swept away is because that is like, just like what everyone says, it's like nothing you've ever done before or ever experienced. But there's a, but there's such a divergence or misunderstanding between those two groups or lack of understanding. The people without children have no reference, and they probably and they don't, they shouldn't, but they don't understand what life is like with children Mm -mm. and then i mean after enough time with a child you forget what life is like without a child and has they each have their own challenges Mm -hmm. and they're probably both not super easy to do yeah i mean one is probably more lonely than the other if you and one is other one is more exhausting and there's just a different set of challenges but i don't know i think uh (laughs) It's an impossible balance to strike. Yeah. I don't know. I think a lot about balance. And then I read this article that was like, balance is like such a privileged idea. Like, oh, think about your balance. 
How is that a privileged idea? I don't know. The kind of the the argument was like some people don't don't have the option of balance. Right, like they're so poor they have to work yeah. like four jobs. Yeah. But even then, I think you could I think balance is achievable in any situation. I don't So I work a part-time job and I don't want to work that part-time job. So the part of me that is talking about balance, like, I guess maybe it is, okay, so I see where they're coming from. Like, part of me wants to quit it, but the other part of me says, well, you aren't done fulfilling this certain, this objective that was, Mm -hmm. you know, you needed to complete with that extra income. Mm -hmm. So you can't quit that job. Mm -hmm. So I guess I see that point, but I'm sure it could be argued where you could try to find, you know, less higher paying jobs or something I don't know but yeah. I get I guess I see the point yeah and it I don't think but it, I don't think it's gonna cause me to stop thinking about balance. right I mean <laughs> I think maybe it's not achievable in some situations but other parts of your life you probably could achieve balance in mm-hmm. like your diet like you have control over what you eat or how much you eat like you could balance that I think maybe the more areas you get balanced would allow you to balance the other areas, you know? Mm-hmm. It's like this system of, I'm um, thinking of like weights, like a weighting, like a balancing, yeah. what's it called? Weights and measures? Or the scale, the mm-hmm. balancing scale. Mm-hmm. It's just like a different, it's just a set of all of them. And you have to like, once you balance one, then you can balance the next one and like keep moving yeah. on this line. If and one's the, out of balance, maybe affects something over here. Right. And maybe some are way more difficult to figure out but maybe you can't figure them out until you balance the first five mm-hmm. problems, mm-hmm. you know, or first five areas of your life. Because, I mean, I think balance is a super key. It's like it's the basis for a lot of world religions. I know like the yin-yang, that's mm-hmm. balance between order and chaos, you know? Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that I I think, of course, you have to think about it how do you not I think it's certainly beneficial I and I get it I get that some people can't so then I can be like god I'm really thankful that I can and I'm going to yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I need to you know yeah so I guess I don't know that I mean is that is if you had to give a piece of advice to people or young people would it be balance or try to achieve balance or yeah I, I think you know I always think about like being intentional. How can you how can you be intentional? How can you try and balance? Um, especially right now. Like think about phones and excess and immediacy right now. We just have everything we want, whenever we want. Um, I don't know. I just think if you can be mindful and you can be intentional and yeah, you how can you balance your own identity with the things you need to do and that's my own advice too right and <laughs> to you just, myself and it's something you have to probably repeat to yourself i mean people go through at least i know i do i'll go through these periods of i'll hear something like a podcast that's super inspirational and motivational and then it'll cause me to yeah what am i totally dropped the ball here on all this stuff that i was trying to implement into my life mm-hmm. and then i'll pick it back up but then again you know fast forward there's going to be a lull. Mm-hmm. And those are things that, like, balance is something that you should just have 
repeated to yourself or mindfulness, mm-hmm. which is, I mean, mindfulness is just the idea of, of what? Just being aware of yourself or what? What do you, what is your take? What do you, what is it? To what you? is my idea of mindfulness? Yeah, yeah I think, I think so. I think like being intentional, being aware. Like I think about how lucky I am that I have a job that I love. Like I work with people I love. I, I have kids that I love. I have a family that I love. And I want to do all of it all the time. But I also have things that I'm like care about. Like I want to read. I want to do theater. I want to go to theater. I want to, you know, I have all of these things. But just being aware of like, okay, like you love this part of your job and you're like in 300%. Or, you know, like for me, I I know I'm going to be the spring season is, is theater and I'm going to do it and I'm not going to feel badly about it. I'm going to set aside this time for it. And I'm going to say like, okay, Travis, you're on, like hunting right. season is yours, <laughs> you know? And, and we're going to have that balance. So, like, I can have some of my own identity, and I can feel okay about that. And then I can swing back into the summer and be like, yay, I'm going to be more present because I yeah. filled something over here that I needed. Like, one of my weights was missing for a while, <laughs> you know? Right. And it's I've heard it described as different seasons of your life. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't remember where I heard that from. But it was, it's a good little analogy. Do you ever see yourself acting again? Like in a, in a, acting in a play or a community theater? So or? that's really funny because I did, um, I did, you know, 9 through 12 acting. And then I went to college and I did nothing. So I did a whole bunch of stuff in high school. I did everything. I was like student council, vice president of the class. You know, like all mm-hmm. those things that you're supposed to do. And I think I just, again, balance <laughs> I did too much. And then I went to college and I did nothing. I did nothing. I was a bum. But I, I read. I was an English major. I read. I had a really great... I loved my college experience. And it just was like very self-centered. Mm-hmm. Um, when, so when, is, it, is high school the last time you did act in a play? No. And then I did, I did community theater in the summers. And so I reading this book... And that's what he's like, go do community theater. And I'm like, could I really do community theater? Like, again. Yes. No. You, should, you should do it. That seems kind of ballsy. You should do it. I don't know. I kind of want to do it, but. Let's go find a community theater. <laughs> <laughs> we should just write a play or something for here. That was always my, when I acted this fall and I thought like, wow, I missed the boat. I, should, I want to act. But I don't want to really act in community theater. <laughs> I liked this. This was great. And I thought, wow, wouldn't that be cool if I could write a play and just do that? <laughs> but that's really hard. But then all of a sudden you'd be you'd be like a teacher casting yourself. And yeah. then, then, then it turns would make into fun a sitcom. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's like just so maybe it all I, comes full circle. Yeah. Maybe so it'll in Clue, there's a character who's the singing telegram. Mm-hmm. I, I'm very familiar with that. I want that. I want to do that. And I'm like, seriously, Deering, like... Can I just do could it? Could I just... Like, that's my favorite part. It's just one moment. And he's like, stop it. You know we're not doing that. Like, yeah, I know. But it's still... I saw... There was an Australian sitcom where 
there was a they, this guy casted a he was the theater director, and on the day of the show, he decided that the lead couldn't do it, so he stepped in and did the whole play <laughs> as the teacher. <laughs> it was terrible. And this guy was a really like super out there, you know, extroverted theater teacher. So he he, he, he did that. It was so funny. It was so good. One of my girlfriends who has this beautiful voice, and I did theater with her in high school. She was directing theater in White Bear Lake, and they had a, a musical lead lose her voice. And so she said, okay, I will sing the part, but I will not do it on stage. Yeah. So she had to do the singing part, and then the high school girl was like, <laughs> mouthing they, the words. Did anyone yeah. notice? I'm mm-hmm. guessing yes. I'm probably. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. I wonder. I can't remember. It was a long time ago now, but. Well, I suggest you should get, you get out there. You go into. I that. suggest that you get out there. Let's do it. Let's All find right, a play. Ready? Here we Head go. In the middle. Go. All right. All right. All right. That is episode number 13, people. If you have been a habitual listener, I really appreciate it. If you are one of those habitual listeners, I do encourage you to go over to iTunes or Apple Podcasts and rate and review the podcast every time someone posts a new one. Uh, I get a little spark in my brain, so I'd I'd like more of those sparks if possible. If you'd like to hear me talk about a specific educational topic or philosophy, please send me an email at danielevanclark at gmail.com. I also have some notes from the podcast today that I wanted to revisit, and that is the fact that upon reflection, I'm pretty sure my mother told me to audition for the school play a couple times when I was in high school. And as any growing teenage boy does, he doesn't listened to his mother, so I didn't do that. So, uh, sorry, Mom. Could have made you rich. (laughs) Um, But we'll have to wait a little longer for that. Another thing I took a little look into was the phenomenon of language changing here in the United States with the addition of this kind of voice. That is actually known as vocal fry, okay? Um, And even though I couldn't find a specific... Reference to the Kardashians, I'm pretty sure they've had some sort of effect on that phenomenon. And apparently two-thirds of women have been found guilty of using that tone of voice. Men have also been found to use that type of voice. And they're not exactly sure as to why the numbers of people using that kind of voice are increasing. But I think Kim K might be the secret to that problem. There is a correction from a previous podcast, I think it's episode number four, where me and a fellow teacher get into the workings or inner workings of Russian politics in the early 20th century or Soviet politics, and I foolishly said that Lenin had Trotsky killed. I had some lovely students point out that, oh boy, was I wrong, and that it indeed was a Stalinist spy who killed Leon Trotsky. And it wasn't a shot to the head at all. It was, in fact, an ice pick to the back of the head. Not a good way to go. But I do stand corrected. 
I'd like to thank Ennis and the Wall Brothers for bringing that one up. Sounds like a great band name. Fellas, get on top of that. But as I've said before, I don't know a lot of stuff. The amount of information I don't know is far greater than the amount I do know. And I definitely welcome any kind of correction or any new information that I can put in my brain and use going forward. So thank you for that. And also thank you for listening once again. We'll see you next time here on I Am Teaching.